Alright, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking a bit more about some dieting strategies that you might want to use. This is mostly specific to fat loss, so being in a calorie deficit, but I'll include a few things for eating in a surplus as well and trying to gain muscle. And we'll see how we go. So, my name is Luke Tulloch. Uh, check out my stuff on Instagram. Check out lukeTulloch.com. Although if you don't own any of my shit, you can't log in there. So, you know, maybe buy some stuff and we'll get on board with that. I also want to make a quick announcement about the upcoming project that's uh, going to be happening in the next month or so for me. I've decided to consolidate a lot of what I'm doing into a membership site and I want to make it as accessible as possible. So I'm not going to announce pricing details in this particular podcast that will be coming soon but there will be a membership site coming up very shortly. Now, in the membership site, what will you find? There will be weekly Q&As with myself, where you can submit questions and I can do that. Uh, Every month, we're gonna have a guest article or a guest contributor, and I'm very excited to have a a super smart guy working on the first one, details to come on that. Um, There's also gonna be a topic of the month. So in the first month, I will be talking about oxidative stress, oxidation, and helping you understand that a little bit better. This is for anybody who's into fitness. And like I said, I just want to make it as accessible as possible, break down some complex topics, have you engage and uh, get as much info out there as we can. It's a bit easier than me having to create separate courses for everything I want to talk about. We can just put it all in one space and make it easy for you to get it. So keep an eye out for details on that one. In the meantime, you can visit me on Instagram underscore Luke Tulloch. And with that said, we'll get into the podcast. Oh, actually, I am going to plug some more stuff before we get into today's topic. Uh, Firstly, I've got a couple of seminars coming up. So the first one is called Systems in Synergy. I'll be presenting with Dr. Jordan Shallow. Very, very exciting. That is in Melbourne on the 17th and 18th of August. The first day, uh, Jordan and I will be presenting together, um, basically doing theory stuff. And then on the second day, Jordan will be doing a practical. So I don't know if there's very many spots left for that, but definitely get on top of it. It's a once-off. I don't know if we'll be doing anything like this again. So please get on top of it. would love to see a room full of you people over there. I know there's already some really cool people coming along. I'm looking forward to seeing you all there if you're listening. Uh, The next thing I'll be presenting at is the Level Up Physique Prep Coach course. And this is for coaches who want to get into physique prep or learn a lot more about it. Uh, A lot of detail in this one. So the presenters are Paul Haslam, Rawdon Dubois, Amy Fox, Dr. Vinesh Singh, myself, Dave Driscoll, Dave Walsh, and Eleni Siliakos. So we have a lot of incredible presenters on this one. Um, we'll be talking basically specifically about comp prep. It's at Lyft Performance Center in Redfern where I work uh, and it starts on Saturday the 7th of September. It goes for four consecutive Saturdays. Uh, Quite a lot of information to get out of there. There is an early bird that's happening before the 9th of August which is a 15% discount and you can do a weekly payment plan if you prefer to do that. So if you have any inclination to go ahead with with that one. It was amazing last time we did it earlier this year. So please direct your inquiries to level up. Dave will take care of you there. All right, so with that all out of the way, let's get into it. So dieting strategies, and this is basically designed to make it a bit easier for you to diet and to help you um, both mentally and physically with the dieting process. 
I want to separate it into some stuff that you can do physically, like with actually how you eat your food. And I also want to do uh, a few little tips and tricks on psychologically getting through it and your mental outlook. So the first thing I want to basically address is that if you are dieting, I've said this before, you are making a choice to diet. It is your choice to diet. And I think having that approach mentally to approaching a calorie deficit when it gets tough, when you feel hungry and when you feel a bit miserable that you can't eat the foods that you want to eat, um, you know, that really helps quite a lot to get into the right mental space that you have made a choice. You will be reaping the benefit of that choice. You will be getting something out of it. It's not just misery for the sake of misery or discomfort for the sake of discomfort. You're actually benefiting from this process and you made the decision. So it's okay to complain about it. It's okay to feel a little bit over it sometimes. That's totally normal and that's fine. But you can't constantly bitch about being hungry. You can't constantly bitch about craving foods. If you have decided to diet, that's the price you pay, unfortunately. Now, with that said, there are some things that you can do to make it a little bit uh, frictionless for you. So I tend to use the term friction to represent those little points that make it a bit more difficult for you to exert willpower or to stick to your diet. I think one of the first things that's really important that is probably overlooked a lot is that dieting can be a team effort and it should be a team effort. I think people around you in your social circles or in your family, and particularly if you are living you know, with housemates or living with friends or living with your partner or your family, making them aware of the fact that you are trying to diet, that you have a goal in mind, that you're looking to better yourself by doing that and asking for their support. Now, how you go about that might be different, obviously, depending on your relationship, but I think that's very helpful having the social support. I've certainly had periods when I lived at home and I first started getting into this sort of stuff where my poor mother was extremely accommodating with my dietary requests and I was doing some kind of odd stuff at the time, you know, eating certain foods and not eating others, eating very low carbohydrate and then suddenly I come in on the weekend and say, hey, I've got to have like 400 grams of carbs this weekend both days and she would help me out with my food. She would obviously do a lot of the grocery shopping and most of the cooking. Um, you know, and it, just having that around is extremely helpful. And it, it is difficult when you've got a partner or friends that have particular lifestyle habits or dietary habits, um, and it's vastly different. Now, I'm not saying your, your partner has to diet with you. Um, I'm not saying your friends have to like limit where they're going out because of you. Um, but, you know, having someone ask you to if you want to go out to the pub for a beer and some nachos or something is not particularly helpful when you're in the middle of the diet but maybe you could go somewhere else that doesn't have beer and nachos or has an option that you can eat like a chicken breast salad or something like that um so that that can be really really helpful and the social support network aspect is vital for long-term success you might be able to go pretty far without that support in the short term but in the long term which is ultimately where we want to fixate on um that's going to be extremely important for your success. Okay, so on this further topic of friction, uh, we can talk about setting up your environment for success. Having foods available to you that you find difficult to stay away from is basically the entire problem of modern society and the obesity crisis. We have, for all intents and purposes, an unlimited uh, availability to calories and we don't have to work very hard to get it. So 
in your home, what you can try and do and at your workplace, what you can try and do is to manufacture the environment in such a way that it makes it more easy for you to stick to your diet and to limit the amount of energy coming in and maximize the amount of energy going out. So simple things like keeping foods that you find difficult to avoid out of sight and out of mind is very, very helpful. There's different levels to this. At home, I would highly recommend, let's use the example of chocolate, not having chocolate in the house. The simple fact that you know that there's chocolate in the cupboard, or if you're one of those freaks that keep it in the fridge, I mean, I don't know what to say to you, but if you're one of those people keeping it in the fridge where it's available to you and you know it's there is not a good idea and it's not setting yourself up for success. It doesn't mean that you cannot eat chocolate. It just means that if you want to get chocolate, you have to either walk out of the house or drive somewhere and purchase the chocolate, which provides a friction point, which makes it much harder for you to actually do that. And then you're much less likely to do it in a moment of weakness. If there is a food in the house that you find that you kind of have to have in the house, because maybe it's part of your regular food prep, but or maybe your partner eats it or something like that, but you find it difficult to deal with that food, at the very least, make it somewhere that's difficult to get to. So to give you an example, you might put it in a in the top shelf of a cupboard that's quite hard to reach. Maybe you need to get a stool to get it. Maybe you need to um, unlock a drawer or something to get it. Uh, maybe it is upstairs or downstairs away from the room where you spend the most time in. At the very least, it should be out of sight. If you can see something, you're going to probably eat it. And you probably see this quite a lot. Um, I think a lot of people's workplaces have this where there might be you know, nuts or chocolates or crackers or chips or something, cake, for example, that is in your line of sight and it's extremely difficult to stop snacking on that. So there's multiple levels to which you can actually manufacture your environment so that you avoid putting yourself in a position of temptation that you might not be able to withstand every single time. Now, my next tip kind of flows on from that is that you should have some foods that you enjoy in your diet. It's not a case of simply restricting yourself to boring foods that you hate all the time. Um, I think having some foods that you genuinely enjoy, that you derive a lot of pleasure from, is extremely important. Now, whether that is working some junk food into your calories, um, I used the example of beer and nachos before, whether you're kind of working that in and creating a healthier, less calorie-dense version, whether you're accounting for it uh, as a treat once a week, whether you're having simple foods that you find enjoyable like i mean it maybe sounds a bit weird but i actually really enjoy the mouthfeel and the texture and all that kind of stuff of uh, oatmeal with some berries mixed into it so for me that's a food that i would happily include in my diet and i really enjoy it i don't have to eat rice in every meal to get my carbohydrates and this might sound a little bit simple and a bit obvious but for some people they get into this mental state of thinking that certain foods are required for success on their diet um, so the classic example is the whole, you know, chicken breast, brown rice and broccoli kind of deal. There's many ways that you can achieve the same macronutrient intake and a similar micronutrient intake using a variety of different foods. And I think understanding what foods um, are in your, in your option list is really important in this regard. If I feel like having oatmeal or muesli 
or rice, I know how to adjust the portion sizes and how to build it into a meal that I'm going to enjoy. And that makes it much easier to stick to a diet and to be successful in that diet because I'm getting a variety of foods that I enjoy and I don't get bored of stuff. You have to remember that we are trying to look for a long-term outlook here. And that means that you can't necessarily just have foods that you're gonna get very sick of within six weeks or 10 weeks. You have to be able to build meals that are going to keep you satisfied and fairly happy for a long period of time. So understanding food substitutions, understanding the fact that you can have foods that you enjoy in your diet and you should, because that's a major part of health, is very, very important. I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but part of our health is our mental health, being socially healthy, being mentally healthy and happy with our relationships. And food is one of those things that is a necessity in our life, not just because of the energy content and the micronutrition content of that food, but also because it is a social thing and it's a cultural thing. It's a very powerful connection to who we are and to our culture. It's a very powerful way of sharing with other people and of coming together and being social and enjoying relationships. A huge part of longevity, health, and our you know, general well-being is being able to connect to our culture, being able to connect with friends and be social, and to have meaningful relationships. And food plays a really important role in that. So I don't just see the health value of food as something that is purely a nutrition-based value. I also see it as the mental health benefits that you get from its role that it plays in social situations, in enjoyment, and in being able to connect to your culture. Just try telling that to all of the Italians that I offend when I tell them I don't like tiramisu. Okay, so another quick couple of tips on the sort of food environment side of things. Uh, the first one is to make sure that you are mindful when you're eating. Uh, there was some research done where scrolling on social media while you're eating led to an increased intake that was not compensated for later. In other words, you just tended to eat more without realizing it. Uh, and I think simply being mindful during your eating periods is quite important to make sure that you're consciously aware of what you're actually doing. So that's another quick little tip is to not be too distracted when you're sitting down to eat. And in fact, probably sitting down in the first place to eat is a good idea. Okay, I wanna move on to the more physical side of things like what you're physically eating to make a diet easier. Um, the first thing is to make sure that the deficit that you use is appropriate. I'm not gonna go over how to calculate deficits and that kind of thing in this podcast. Um, but if you are calculating a deficit, I think a mistake a lot of people make is that they either go extremely aggressive or not aggressive enough. Um, so having a 10% deficit is not gonna be particularly helpful because it's very difficult for you to see progress uh, that way. Will you make progress? Absolutely. But it's very encouraging when people see a large amount of initial weight loss because that is very motivating and it you know, makes you feel like you're actually doing something worthwhile. On the other hand, if you go with a very large deficit and a large deficit is kind of relative to the person. For me personally, I'm fairly comfortable doing a 35 to 40% deficit for myself. For most people, that's going to leave them with very little food and it's very challenging to do. But going about a 30% deficit is a, is a pretty large deficit. And for a lot of people that might not be sustainable. It might be too taxing. And if you're not experienced as doing this kind of thing with dieting, um, that can be quite hard. So take into account your personal experience and make something realistic for yourself. 
If you're somewhere between 20 and 30%, I think that's quite a happy medium for most people where you'll see a reasonable amount of gain or loss. Um, when I say gains, I mean you're actually make some progress. Um, but you'll see a reasonable amount of weight loss that will actually spur you to continue. It'll be very motivating, but at the same time, it'll probably be sustainable for a longer period of time. There is no point dieting very hard if you can only sustain it for three or four weeks or even five or six weeks, um, especially if the other factors I mentioned, like your social life and your relationships, suffer extremely because of it. So be reasonable, take the medium to long-term outlook and stick with a manageable deficit and that will make life much, much easier for you. As for the composition of your diet, uh, obviously having stuff like higher protein and higher fiber is going to make a massive difference. Now, whether you choose to go lower fat and higher carb or higher fat and lower carb is a personal choice and I don't think that you'll see too much difference between the two in terms of fat loss. However, your protein should always be quite high. Um, a minimum of 1.6 grams per kilogram of your current body weight is probably ideal, and you can go higher than that for sure. Uh, mostly, I tend to try and stick with about 2 grams per kilo of body weight of protein eaten every day. Um, so that's a kind of nice range to, uh, to aim for, and if you can go a bit more than that because you prefer that, then that's totally fine too. Now, on the carbohydrate and fat amounts to eat, I think that comes down to personal preference and we have to remember that adherence and the long-term outlook is one of our primary concerns here. So if there is a particular way that you prefer to eat, particular foods that you prefer to fit into your diet, then I would highly encourage that you do that. But bear in mind that you do also want enough variety because you want to avail yourself to enough micronutrition as well. So if you are on a reasonable deficit, let's say 20 to 30% deficit, and you're now eating less food than you normally would, it means that not only are you getting less calories and less energy coming in, which is our goal for fat loss, it also means that you're getting less micronutrition. Because you're eating less food, it means that you're getting less of the vitamins and minerals found in that food and less of the fiber as well. So you have to be aware of that. And I think one of the dangers is that sometimes people cut their carbs down quite a lot and then they start missing out on things like fiber. Fiber is going to be a really important factor for keeping you satisfied and keeping you full. And it's also really important for your health in general. So I would make sure that you have enough carbohydrate in your diet that you're getting a reasonable amount of fiber. I would actually recommend tracking your fiber if you can. Um, and I'd aim for somewhere between 10 to 15 grams of fiber per 1000 calories consumed. And obviously, if you're on the extremes of that, then that might not be appropriate. And some people might find that that's too much fiber for them sometimes. And some might find that it's a little bit too little fiber for them sometimes. But at least if you're tracking, then you can understand where you're at and what's happening with your fiber intake. Some tips to boost up your fiber is to simply uh, buy something like psyllium husk and add that to meals. So one of my favorite meals is uh, low-fat Greek yogurt mixed with some protein powder to bump the protein up, some uh, frozen berries, and then I would typically add some muesli or something like that to it. The muesli tends to be fairly calorie dense, so when I'm dieting, I tend to use much less of that or just forego it altogether, and I will add psyllium husk to help bulk up the meal. And that means that that meal can potentially range from anywhere between 450 calories to 800 calories, depending on whether I'm using 
psyllium husk or the muesli to get my fiber from. Um, they're equally sort of satisfying in terms of how full I feel afterwards, but obviously the calorie amount is very different. Speaking of protein, you can use protein powders to uh, give you some more meal options. So that meal I just described, or the oatmeal that I really enjoy, the, the porridge, uh, tend to be quite low in protein. Uh, and so I use protein powder to bump up the protein content of those meals. If you were to simply try and eat all of your protein from foods, firstly, it means you have to eat more food, which can make it more difficult to uh, get your calories, uh, hit your calorie targets. But secondly, it also limits the amount of foods that you can actually use. Um, you know, there's no way I would be able to hit enough protein and stay within a nice calorie deficit uh, with my typical uh, oatmeal without adding some protein powder to it, you know, because I just have to eat some other foods to make up for the lack of protein in that. And then that's going to blow out my calories a bit more. And then you kind of end up just being um, pushed into this, into this hole of only eating, you know, lean meats or something like that, which is not an ideal situation when you want to have a bit of variety in your diet. So using some protein powder can help bump up the protein amounts in some meals that traditionally might not be very high protein and that gives you a few more meal options that you can use. All right, so uh, on that front, I think I'm gonna stop with the dieting side of things. I think there's a few sort of basic tips there that maybe you haven't thought of or stuff that you could easily use with your clients. Um, to help out with the, the calorie deficit. Eating in a surplus now is probably the next thing that's actually quite challenging. And I've mentioned this before, but I personally find consistently eating in a surplus actually harder than eating in a deficit. And the reason why is because when you feel full and you have to eat another meal, it's probably one of the worst feelings in the world. You feel tired and sluggish all the time because you're constantly filling yourself with food. Um, and Honestly, you start to enjoy food much less. I think a lot of people out there can probably attest to the fact that when you're in a deficit and you have been dieting for a while, eating something that is off your diet plan or even just getting like more of, of the same food can feel like heaven when you've been dieting. Um, it just sort of resets that that sort of hedonic mechanism in the brain, that, that food reward mechanism. And so some of the most mundane foods can feel just incredible when you eat them. Um, when you're in a surplus and you, you're like, well, hell yeah, I can get to eat more food and I can eat more of this tasty stuff that I like. After a while, you actually don't even want to eat it anymore because you just see it all the time and the, the reward mechanisms that you get from it just don't feel the same anymore, which is uh, kind of sad when you've got some favorite foods and you don't even care about it. So anyway, uh, some of the tips to make it a little bit easier are to do some of the reverse of what I recommended previously, where um, if you're in a surplus, you actually don't need quite as much protein as you might think. So in a deficit, if you're dieting very hard and you've got a lot of muscle mass to preserve, you probably do want to go north of that two gram per kilo of body weight protein intake to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. But when you're in a surplus, you don't need quite as much. So I think having around two or a bit less, depending on your size and, and your training and all that kind of stuff, um, can actually be totally fine. Uh, which leaves a little bit more room for you to maybe have some fats or have some carbohydrates. The other big issue when you're eating to like to gain weight is that um, when you eat in a surplus, that is when you're most at risk of developing things like insulin resistance and uh, some of the negative metabolic effects. They're all very much tied to energy balance, even if you're eating quite good foods. And so the paradox here is that 
the easiest way to get in more calories is to eat junk foods, is to eat poorly, you know, to eat ice cream, to uh, eat chips. Those foods that are easy to eat a lot of tend to be the ones that will give you the worst health effects when you're eating, eating them in a surplus. So unfortunately, it means that, you know, if you try to revert to eating quote unquote healthy or clean foods um, that maybe have a little bit of a better sort of health profile uh, in a surplus, those are the ones that fill you up more and the harder to eat more of. So it's a bit of a tough one. I still think that having some quote unquote junk foods or less healthy foods in there is still totally fine. You just need to be aware that you can't do that all the time and that the rest of your diet still has to be pretty much spot on. It has to be on point. A good example of this is the type of fats that you eat. So using fat is quite an easy way of bumping up your energy intake when you're in a surplus. I am a fan of mostly using carbohydrates where possible, but I know that fats just make it so much easier to get in the calories. And that's totally cool when you're in a surplus. But the type of fat matters. If you're eating a lot of saturated fats from say animal sources, then in a surplus is probably not going to be ideal for your health. You'll get a better health effect from eating unsaturated fats, which tend to be from plant sources. So I see this quite often where guys will, for example, you know, they'll choose the fattier cuts of meat. They'll, uh, you know, start eating more egg yolks, that kind of thing. Um, but, and, you know, even your junk foods tend to have a lot of saturated fats in them. So things like ice cream and chips and that kind of thing. But from a health perspective, it's probably better if we move more towards things like avocados, olive oils, um, canola oil, that kind of stuff, nuts. And so you still need to be aware that, you know, some of the foods that you're eating are going to be probably a little bit heavy in the saturated fat side of things. And we want to move that more towards the unsaturated fats. I think you'll feel a lot better for it and be healthier for it, even though you are in a surplus, even though you are probably eating quite a lot of fat, if you change where those fats come from. By the same token, with the carbohydrates, you still want to eat a nice variety of fruits and vegetables and carbohydrate foods so that you can get the correct micronutrition in. It doesn't help if you're just smashing sugar all the time because although I don't think sugar is inherently bad, it does displace other nutrients that you could be getting from other carbohydrate sources. So you just need to be careful with finding the right balance. As far as actually getting the calories in, using tactics like uh, multiple meals a day can be very helpful. I find when I'm trying to eat a high amount of calories that if I delay my first meal or if I go too long between meals, you start to get towards the end of the day where it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's you've only got a few hours left in the day and you've got to eat 1500 calories or 2000 calories or something like that. And that's a mammoth task. It, it kind of sucks. So spacing out your meals well and making sure that you're eating frequently for me has been really helpful in terms of getting in enough calories on a consistent basis. Using liquid meals is also a really good way of doing things. So using a blender to blend some stuff together. And it's also a nice way of getting in your vegetables. So um, you, know, you can get in your fruits and vegetables that way uh, by making things like smoothies. And that means that the actual food volume is lower because you've liquefied it and it's easier to get in uh, quickly that way. So you're still getting all of those nutrients, but it's not quite as difficult. You know, it's not quite as filling. Lastly, I think a big misconception with, uh, eating in a surplus is that, you know, I've spoken a lot about the weekly deficit. So if you are in a calorie deficit, I recommend looking at your week and essentially 
creating a weekly deficit where some days you can be in a smaller deficit or even at maintenance and other days you can be in a larger deficit. This works really well for the average person who you know, works during the week and then has the weekend off where they might socialize a bit more. So you might be in quite a large deficit for five days of the week and then say Friday night or Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday, you go back up to maintenance or a smaller deficit so that you have some more calories to use when you socialize or if you have some meals that you want to enjoy a bit more. Uh, I don't think that works quite as well when you're in a surplus. So one of the big issues is that people tend to, uh, especially when they have trouble gaining weight, their satiety mechanisms are quite well tuned to incoming nutrients in the sense that when they eat, when they overeat on one day, their brain recognizes that and then they will tend to subconsciously undereat the following day therefore equalizing out and balancing that sort of calorie surplus and making them head back more or less to maintenance. I don't think that you can just sort of brute force this by having a couple of days a week where you eat an incredible amount and then the rest of the time you're at maintenance. Um, so although you might be in an overall weekly surplus then, I don't think that's ideal for muscle gain. I think for muscle gain, what you want is a consistent small surplus. The reason why is because if you, let's have a bit of a thought experiment here. Let's say we had seven days of the week where we we're in a 10% calorie surplus. That means that every day there is a little bit more energy coming in than what you require to maintain your body weight. And the body can use that little bit of extra energy to put on some muscle. You will gain some fat alongside that, but that's unavoidable. We're not perfectly, um, we're not perfect at partitioning nutrients specifically to muscle. And so we get a little bit of fat gain along with that. Now let's think about the fact that there is a limit to how much protein we can synthesize. You can't simply eat more and more and more. You can't go into a 50% surplus and then accrue that much more muscle mass. There's a limit to how much muscle protein we can synthesize in a day. This means that Let's say, for example, instead of being in a 10% surplus seven days a week, you're in a 30% surplus for a couple of days a week, and then you're at maintenance for the rest of the week. That essentially means that on those two days where you have that surplus, yes, you're getting a great amount of muscle protein synthesis, but all of the excess energy that you've eaten past that point is going to be stored as fat. On the other days when you're at maintenance, because there is now no extra energy coming in, your protein synthesis is not being maximized. So you've got a couple of days where you're getting great protein synthesis, but also a higher amount of fat storage. And you have a few days a week where your protein synthesis is not in fact maxed out. So I think being consistent with a smaller surplus every day is much superior when you're trying to gain muscle than it is to just focus on the overall weekly surplus. However, when you're in a deficit, the overall weekly deficit is totally the best way to go in my opinion. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. If you have any questions or you want to interact with me at all, please drop me a line. Probably Instagram is the best way to contact me, underscore Luke Tullick. I'd really appreciate it if you shared the episode, uh, commented on it, just share it with one person, um, uh, just so we can get this information out there a little bit more. And of course, check out all the upcoming seminars and whatnot. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I'll catch you next time.